So I don't know how this guy ended up stuck, but as you will see, he really was stuck. <laughs> so we don't intend to get stuck. We wander down into it and think, oh, we've got this, only to discover it's got us. And at that moment, all we can do is cry for help and then rest in the grasp of something or someone stronger than the mud. So these next four Sundays, we're going to talk about being stuck, and it's the kind of stuck where you think you've got it, but you find out it's got you. It could be failure. It could be, it, it could be this obsession with culture and with peer approval. It could be an intense struggle that you face. Or it could be sin. Now, sin, that's not a really popular word, and, and, and people don't like to talk about sin because it conjures up this picture of some fire-breathing King James street corner preacher with a bony finger yelling out God's condemnation on us for what we drink or what we eat or how we date. But that's not it at all. Pam and I have some friends who live in the eastern side of Africa and when their children were younger, they took their two daughters and they went out with friends to go camping in the bush. And they were sitting around the campfire at night and he was video, videoing the activities and the fun and out of the corner of the viewfinder, he saw that his daughter had a stick and she's waving this stick and she's having so much fun and he reached over and he slaps it out of her hand. And now what kind of loving father would do that? Why would he want to ruin her fun? Did I mention that what she had in her hand was a black mamba? So, Mr. Hamilton, if a black mamba bit you, you'd die in 20 minutes. That's how deadly. And just think how that would be for a little girl. See, we think that God talks to us about sin and restricts us because he wants to ruin our fun. As God sees it, Sin always causes death to someone or something that he intended to fill with life. See, God's love doesn't condone sin. Because I've run into people who say, well, God just loves me and he loves me the way I am and everything's going to be fine. Well, God doesn't condone sin. In fact, what God does is he rescues us from it. So David is king of Israel. And he wanders off into the mud, not knowing how deep his problems will be. And so it begins for David with porn. It was his rendition of porn. He watched a woman bathing naked, and he just studied her. It then moved over to seduction. He brought her into the palace and he seduced her because he had the power. And when the king says you're going to do something, you do it. 
As a result, she became pregnant. He hadn't counted on that one. So he begins a cover-up. He does his best to disguise the fact that he's the father and the only one who can tell people that he's not is the husband of this woman. So he sends her to battle and has him murdered. And then he adds her to his harem, his list of wives, and none of that is God approved. And he didn't start with this thinking he would get down to that. David has just broken five of the big ten commandments. He has committed adultery. He has committed murder. He has lied. He has stolen. And he has coveted his neighbor's wife. And the thing about sin is this, that it always takes you further than you want to go and always costs you more than you had counted on paying. And David's stuck. Until God sends a prophet, Nathan, to confront him. And see, the thing about God's confrontation when it comes to sin is not that he has come to condemn us or to punish us. He confronts us so that we become unstuck. In fact, God's committed to getting us unstuck by awakening us to confession. There are 150 Psalms, and there's only two Psalms that deal with actual confession of sin. And Psalm 51 is that Psalm where David confesses what he has done with Bathsheba. And he begins it this way, Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. David broke half of the big ten. And now he has the audacity to come to this God, this God who gave him the ability to kill a lion, to kill a bear, and to kill a giant. Who has this special, we call it, anointing upon him with an ability and an authority to function like no one else in that situation, in that season. God has given that to him. God has protected him from a very mad, spear-chucking king, and he escapes him. And God has given him so much wealth that you can't even count it. Yet, he also believes that God hasn't given him everything that he really wants, and so he does this. And then he has the audacity to come back to God and say, I need you, all of this, I need you to get me unstuck. Why? Because he's such a great guy? No, because he understands how God has already described himself to Israel. Exodus 34, 6 has God telling them who he is, and he says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That God. And David says, I believe you are that one. So I'm asking you to do this. 
I'm asking you to have mercy, which means to stoop down as a superior to an inferior to give favor. I am messed up and I am stuck and I need you who have the ability to get me out to come down here and give me favor. Because of your unfailing love. We've talked about this word. It means steadfast love and it actually breaks down to these words, big in commitment. You don't let go. You have not walked away from me. As I'm stuck in this, you are still there. And you're after me. Because you have great compassion. Not just regular compassion, great compassion. Regular compassion would be like this, hi Pam. That's regular compassion. You want to see great compassion? <laughs> Never mind. The word actually means this. It means compassion in the womb. It is the, it is the love and compassion that a mother has for her child. You want to get stuck in something, get stuck in God. Get stuck in this one who has big commitment, big in commitment to you, this one who will come to you and give you favor, this one who loves you as a mother would love that child coming from her womb. David says, I need you to do that because I'm stuck in some pretty thick stuff. And he describes it. He said, I have transgressions. The word transgression there means simply this. He has said to God by his actions, if not his words, I don't need God. I don't need you. I can do this on my own. He says, according to my iniquities, which means to, to actually to be wayward. See, I don't need your directions. I can do this on my own. And I am lost in sin, which means I don't need your rules. And now I'm stuck because my very actions have said to you, I don't need you, I don't need your directions, and I don't need your rules. Now, how do you get that out of me, God? What are you going to do? How is that going to happen? When, when God was teaching Israel how to walk with Jehovah, with Yahweh, he said, I want to teach you how to be healthy because you don't have it built within you to be able to do that right now. And eventually, as, as he told the prophet Jeremiah, I'm going to reshape your heart so that you'll begin to have this become second nature to you, but right now it's not. So I'm going to give you some laws to help you stay healthy. Follow these laws, and I'll shape your heart in the process. And he said, so let's deal with the law that deals with death, because death I'm not really fond of, because I didn't create death. It was never my intention. And where death goes, it destroys. So let's deal with death. So if someone dies in your tent, in your house, here's how you deal with the person who's died. But understand what has happened is because they died there, they have left a residue of death. They've left a spirit of death. They have left a stain, not a physical stain, but there is now in that place a spiritual residue of death that God did not author. He said, now we got to get that clean. 
So someone who has not been in the house and been defiled by that because the house has been defiled, the furnishings have been defiled, and anyone in the house or anyone who's touched that dead body, they've been defiled. And there is this spirit of death that follows them. So what you need to do is you need to go get someone who has not been defiled. And they will go out to where there is a purification offering being made for this death. And you take the ashes from the sacrifice and you put it in water and then you take a hyssop branch. And you dip the hyssop branch in the water and you sprinkle it over the tent and you sprinkle it in the tent and you sprinkle it on the furnishings and you sprinkle it on the people. And I will remove the label of death that you carry and I will cover you with life. You don't have it on your notes, but Psalm 51, 7, David says, clean me, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Because I don't want to carry this label anymore. I don't want to carry the label of David the adulterer and David the deceiver and David the murderer and David the thief and David the coveter. I want to be David the man after God's own heart and I can't do that unless you cleanse me. Just like you don't want to be unfaithful wife, ex-con, alcoholic, slut, said, I want to cleanse you so that you are known as saint. You say, well, wait, wait, is, this, is, this, is that such a big deal, this whole cleansing thing? I read about a guy years ago who was sitting in a restaurant in a fast food place, and all his friends were with him, and he, he had to get up and go to the restroom, and he didn't want anybody eating his food or, or drinking out of his cup. So as he left, he wrote on a napkin, this is mine don't drink it, I spit in it. He went to the bathroom, came back, and someone had written under his lines, I spit in it too. <laughs> now, would you drink that? It's defiled. Sin is an overt act of rebellion whereby we despise God's will and flaunt our sinful nature. And when we sin, our defilement makes God as hesitant to come in contact with us as we would to come in contact with that which has been spit in. And God has to remove that defilement. And confession is the invitation to be cleansed. And why is cleansing so important? God told Israel that that when when you go into the promised land, the land that I'm giving to you and, and the people are leaving, you're going to inhabit their houses. Now, when you get in those houses, I may send a mildew. Another interpretation of that is a leprosy on the walls of your house. If you see the mildew on the house, you call for a priest to come, and he will come in and inspect the mildew and see how deep it's gone into the wall. He may come back and say, get everything out of the house so it's not infected. He'll close up the house. He'll come back seven days later. And if it's grown, he will then say, come scrape the walls, scrape the mildew off. And where it has gone into the walls, he will tear out the plaster and pull out the rocks and, and put them someplace where they cannot contaminate and rebuild the wall and then cleanse it. Why is that so important? Jewish scholar Rabbi Cohen says this, according to the Midrash, which is a rabbinical commentary, the Amorites concealed treasures of gold in the walls of their houses during the 40 years of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. 
in order that when Israelites conquered the land, they would not be able to lay their hands on these valuables. God therefore smote the houses with the plague that the Israelites should demolish them and so discover the hidden treasure. Now, you say, well, that's great. They got the wealth. No, see, this is more about health than it is wealth. Dr. Jack Hayford says, consider this fact. Most of the precious items of gold, silver, and valuable stones treasured by the Canaanite and Amorite peoples were handcrafted by pagan artists, virtually all of whom featured the gods and goddesses of their demon deity system in most of their work. The artists themselves were committed communicators of the corroded values of their culture. Thus, in some houses, the objects hidden in the walls, as noted, were actually objects dedicated to the worship of satanic beings. Small wonder, then, that God was unwilling to allow any residue of the former occupants to infect the house of his own people. You could go into a house and not know that there was this demonic idol in the wall, and it was a portal of demonic activity. And God said, I'm going to show you the infection that is there so that you finally have to dig it out, confess that it's in there, get it out, and let me cleanse it. I said, I'm not going to let this sit until it's done. Sin is more than a mistake. Sin is destructive portal. It's a destructive portal that allows destruction into our lives if it's not taken care of. So that God says to us, and he said to David, I'm sending Nathan to you to talk to you because you are being destroyed. You've opened yourself up to some demonic activity that must be identified so that it can be cleansed in your life. God's conviction is not to make you feel miserable because he wants you just to feel horrible about what you've done. It is there so that you'll understand that there's something that is now a portal of destruction that you've got to get rid of. So David continues his confession, for he says this in verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. See, most of us won't come to the place that we'll confess like that because we're afraid that if we confess it, then we're labeled that way. Confession does not label sinners, it loosens saints. That's why James wrote to the, to the churches, and you see it in the New Testament, James wrote and said this, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, in a community of love and vulnerability, I have to sit with these people right here that I trust them, and, and I need to say to them, here's what I'm dealing with, people that are close that I can trust, and if you say, I don't have anybody close that I can trust, then that's your problem. Because you can't do this by yourself. And so we sit here together, and I sit with John, and I say, John, here's what I'm dealing with. And, and, and we talk about this, and then we say, okay, now God wants to heal that. Confess that to him, and I'll walk with you so that you come to a place of health. Because without confession, we stay stuck. And saints are just unstuck sinners. It's what they are. So now David brings us to the core of confession. And I don't think confession's complete till you get to this place. He said, God, there's this, this thing that's in front of me that's right in my face all the time. It is right there. It is just, it's just wrecking my life. It's crushing my bones. And it's this. 
you've loved me the most and I've hurt you the worst. I have wounded you so badly and I know that I offended Israel and I murdered a man and I destroyed a family. I know, I, I know I've, I've, I've sinned them, but because my sin is to you so great, I feel like you're the one that I've really offended, you and only you, because you're right here and I realize what I've done to you. And you're right. You are just in your judgment of me. In fact, I must now confess that even as a child and, and as I grew up, it's not so much that it may not be in my DNA, but the culture that I grew up in is so self-serving and, and so, so self-satisfying, self-gratifying that I am that way. And now you have shown me truth in the inner part, and that is this, that sin has characterized my private life. It's been in there all this time. And I got to get it clean. And he said, you've sent me wisdom because God's conviction is wisdom that simply I could, should change. i got to change. This has got to happen. But for that to happen, I need more than cleansing. See, cleansing releases, but creating conquers. And David makes a statement. He said, you know, what you've done to me is like crushing my bones. It's just, it, I've just felt almost physical pain. You've pressured me so much. We've told you so many stories about our son, Dustin, you know, and, and, and Dustin would say he's sorry. He'd, he, you know, he said he was sorry he got picked up for shoplifting, and he was sorry he got arrested at another time. He was sorry that, that he flunked health class. How do you flunk health class? <laughs> he's sorry that the private school said, don't ever come back here again. He's sorry that he put poop in a bag and lit it on fire on somebody's porch. He's sorry that he and his friends jumped out of the second-story window on our king-size mattress that they had drug outside so they could film wrestling. But he never changed. He was sorry, but he never changed. And then one day he came to us and he said, I'm done. I said, what do you mean you're done? Because we've heard this before. Look, I just know this, that I've been blaming you, you and, you and mom, and I've been blaming the schools, and I've been blaming the police, and I've been blaming friends, and I've been blaming you that you brought me here from Oregon. I'm blaming you for all that stuff, and I'm blaming God. But I've come to this conclusion now that God is right, and this is my fault. And I know this, that God keeps pressuring me. It's the same thing as David saying, you're breaking my bones. He said, God just keeps pressing me, and he's made it very clear that if I have to go to jail, he'll send me there. That unless I wise up, he's just going to keep pressuring me. And this I know now. I have to change. And then he was transformed. I want to propose to you that confession is not done until we are left broken. And we are not broken to the degree we need to be broken until we get to a spot where we say, look how bad I've hurt God. And secondly, I have nowhere else to go. 
And it's at that moment, it's at that moment when we are that broken in our confession that God says, now I'm going to erase all this and I'm going to recreate. Brokenness opens up the space for God to create, not to condemn. And that is why David then could say this. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me and do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, we need the cleansing. Oh, we, need it. we just love it when God takes that stuff off us and we say, I don't have that pressure anymore of the sin. We, we need the cleansing, but we also need to deal with the dynamic in here that keeps us doing the wrong thing. David's not just asking for a clean heart. He wants the new start. But he knows this, that God wants to create a spirit with the ability to consistently insist to God, I need you, your directions, and your rules. God, make it so that that happens in here, that that I want you, and I want your way, and and I want to do your thing, your rules. And, And let me just make clear what his rules are. He made it pretty simple. Love God, love people. Those are his rules. And he said, God, this doesn't happen at once. I know that. So so I know it's going to take a while. So please, do not cast me away when I'm trying to get this right. And don't take your Holy Spirit away either. So don't you leave and don't don't throw me out because I need you here because I need you to do the cleansing because there's some stuff we just can't do ourselves, but we can put ourselves in the place that God can do that. And secondly, when I mess up, and I will mess up, I don't want to get stuck, so I need to have you there so that when I confess, you cleanse me and you work on this thing on the inside. Then I know that I'm delivered, and then I know that my joy will return. So here's the bottom line. I can't change me. I can't. But when we're stuck... We need to cry out and rest in the grasp of the one who is more powerful than our mud. And Jesus is that one. So what I have to do, because Jesus is that one, I have to come to Jesus and I've got to say, I'm broken. God, I'm broken. I can't tell you how many times I've had to do this. I'm broken. Because I am. And I got to believe that somewhere in all of this that God says, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll cleanse you. For if I confess my sins, if I confess, if I confess, along with that brokenness, he is faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to the fact that he has abundant love, that that he is big in commitment, that he made a covenant that said, I got you covered, I'm with you, and I will be merciful to you. Faithful and just to forgive me for my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. No, wait, 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 wait. Where did all that stuff go? Well, all the stuff that was here went into this, the eraser. 
Jesus is the eraser. How do I know that? Because when Jesus hung on the cross, all of that stuff went in him, and it was so defiling that God turned his face from his son because God cannot look on that defilement. And Jesus cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's why. And that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come because this has now been clean. God says, now I can recreate something new in you. Paul the Apostle described it well when he said this, now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah, anyone in Christ gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, a new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. So we've got to live this out now. We, we, got, we can't just say, oh, hey, that was really great, Pastor Jack. I'd love to board and the thing, the eraser. No, 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 no. This has got to happen to us. So on your notes this morning, I give you some action steps. So let's live it out. So here's what I want you to do. Right where you're seated, as freaky as this may seem to you, I want you to just see in front of you a whiteboard. And you can either use your finger in the air or just with your mind, but I want you to start writing those things that you have to confess. Just look at it right now and just start writing those things. Some of us need really big space. You see it? That's your confession of sin, and you may need to do this on a regular basis. Now. Watch it be erased. Just see it. That's not there anymore. Now, as Jesus is now taking you to the creation process, I want you to say to him, Jesus, I want you. I want your way. I want your directions, and I want your rules. I want that. Start creating me to be that way. So love God, love people. And then when you blow it, when you sin, immediately run to God, confess, and then move on. Don't get stuck. Get stuck in God, not in that junk. Don't sink back in the mud. And now own your new identity. I'm just such a miserable sinner. Well, you, you, you have been, but he said you're a saint. You are God's favorite. Ask him, he'll tell you. I don't know how he does that. You say, well, you can only have one favorite. No, he's God. He can have everybody can be his favorite. You are God's favorite. Your picture's on his fridge. <laughs> you are not what you used to be. You are not what you used to be. You are not what you used to be. Look, that stained identity was erased. I want all of us to own our new identity. So I want you to stand. 
Jack Hayford had, had this great story he talked about in a, in a gathering such as this, and because of this identity we have, he had everybody turn to each other and, and say who they are, and they put the name Saint in front of that. So I would say to you, I'm Saint Jack. And so he had people turn, and they were turning, and, and, and one guy turned to the other and said, hey, I'm, I'm Saint Bob, and the other guy said, uh, hi. He said, well, who are you? He said, well, he said, well, tell me who you are. He said, no. He said, well, tell me... I'm St. Jack, or St. Bob, who are you? And he said, my name's Bernard. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. If this is going to work, then we've got to own it. And you can't own it alone. So I'm going I'm to give you a charge. I'm going to ask you to do this. If, if you've got nobody that you can sit down with in the days to come when you're dealing with these issues and just say, okay, here's the stuff I'm dealing with. I mean, you don't, you don't have to get real specific if you don't, if you don't feel like you, you, you should, but at least give a general idea. But as you get to know the person, there should be this freedom to do that. And you say, but I don't have anybody. Then come see us. We'll get you hooked up or we'll sit with you. We've got elders. We've got mature followers of Jesus. But you can't do this alone. And if you don't try to do it alone, the, Satan is going to keep telling you, oh, no, you're, you're that old person. You're that way. It's just going to kill you. So it's time for us to, to, to confess it and walk it and become what God has designed for us to be. So your benediction today is to claim your identity. That word saint means someone who's been separated unto God from the old past into a new life. Paul would write, he'd said to the saints in Colossae, well, aren't saints the people and the Catholic Church does? Those are wonderful people that, that have been called saints, but we're all saints if you're followers of Jesus. And so your, your benediction today is for you as you're walking out, say hi to people, and I, you just need to, everybody you talk to, I know it's, it's stupid, but go with it. Just when you say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm St. Lucy, and, and just tell everybody, you can even tell people at the restaurant, hey, I'm, I'm St. Jack, do I get a discount? <laughs> and, and declare that over your life, even every morning when you get up, or if you, when you're going to bed, just say, I am, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, I am Saint Jack. And live it out. And keep this process of confession and brokenness going. And you may be in the midst of the brokenness right now. And if you need someone to be with you, we are here for broken people. Because we're all on this journey. You are wonderful people. Now, all you saints, go do something saintly. Have a great day.